moms out there as well. Uh, whether it's your first year as a mother or your 51st year as a mother, uh, you are doing a great and wonderful thing. And I hope and pray that you know that every day that you wake up and you're not able to get that hair the way you want it, and it's been way too long since you've had a manicure, and your makeup doesn't look quite right, and your clothes are dingy, that you know that there are stars in your crown in heaven because of what you are doing for your kids. And so I just want you to be encouraged in that way and continue. Do not become weary in well-doing. And husbands, fathers, sisters, dads, I want you to encourage those women. I want you to find those moments. We make a day in our culture today to honor them, but I want you to find times throughout the whole year to get them that manicure they've been missing, to give them that extra time in the morning to get their hair good, to, to spend a little extra money, give them that permission to get those clothes that need to be updated. Find those spaces. And maybe it's not physical things, right? But find a way to honor them. I just want to encourage you this morning with that. So I desire to please God, living in a way that honors and glorifies Him, and I assume you're here because you want to do that too. And I learned at a young age that actions speak louder than words. And so I know that the things that I do and the things that I say not only communicate to others who I am, but they also communicate to others who God is because I claim him as my Lord. I claim to be a disciple of Jesus. And so it's understandable that sometimes I can become very fixated on getting my actions right, my behaviors right, the things that I do just right, and I try to guard my mouth, and I try to put up all these, you know, behavioral modifications. But that's not really what I need to be about. Anybody know what surprise toys are? Click on there. Anybody know what surprise toys are? If you don't have little kids, you might not have heard of this. When I was a kid, everything came in a clear plastic thing, so you knew exactly what you were getting, right? They have this whole phenomenon now of surprise toys. You don't know what you're getting. <laughs> you buy this thing, and it's a surprise. And it's like this exciting thing. Somebody tapped into, hey, Christmas morning is the best morning kids have. Let's just give them Christmas morning every time they buy a toy, right? And so they get this egg, or they get this ball, or they come in all kinds of different shapes of things, and you don't know what you get until you get home. And you open it up, and even after you open up the egg, they're in individual little packages, and it's like, oh my gosh, I got the pink one! You know, it's like so exciting, and they're so excited, until they go, oh, I already have three of the pink one, right? You know? But nobody looks at these toys and is like, hey, look at this awesome egg, and look at this wrapping on the outside, it's so cool. They all go, what's on the inside? Following Jesus is kind of like being a surprise toy. The most important thing is what's on the inside. Jesus says that what you have inside of you, in fact, will determine what comes out of you. Matthew chapter 12, verses 33 to 37 says this, Make a tree good, and its fruit will be good. Make a tree bad, and its fruit will be bad. For a tree is recognized by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. Wow. What have I been storing up inside of my heart? 
What do I have in there? I mean, if it's what's going to end up coming out of my mouth, I want it to be good stuff, right? I don't want to be a tree that only bears bad fruit. I don't want to be a tree that looks good from afar, but when you get up close, its fruit is rotten. I don't want to get cursed like the fig tree when Jesus walked by and wanted a fig and didn't have one. I want to be good, good on the inside. And so it's not enough for me to just dress up my outside. I've got to look inward. I've got to work on what's going on inside of my heart. Um, I don't know if you saw the movie years ago called Bruce Almighty. Uh, There's a scene in Bruce Almighty where he goes up and he's talking to God and there's this filing cabinet. And God tells him that that his whole life is contained in this filing cabinet. It's kind of a funny scene. It's supposed to be a comedy. He opens up the file and it's so long it like slams into him. He's flying back. And it's just got every file. Every experience. Every word he's ever said. Every thought he's ever thought. Every action he's ever done. Right? And it's pretty interesting. And, And God ends up reading something out of this file in Bruce Almighty. I picture that when I read the verse that talks about every word will be taken into account. It says each of us will give an account for every empty word. Ah, that's heavy for me. I've got four kids, and I say something sometimes in impatience, in frustration, in exhaustion that are empty that aren't what I really mean, but gosh, they're, they're, they're hurtful. And I can say that to my wife when it's not even her I'm mad at, I'm frustrated at something else, and I'm, I'm thinking about that, and she does something, and I'll just, I'll just say this word. That it's, oh. And, and Jesus says, we're going to take an account for that. And he says, you will be either acquitted, in other words, set free from the charge, or found guilty by your own words. I don't know if you're like me. I'm old enough now that I've had experiences where people have used my words against me. (laughs) Wait, I thought you said. You know, kids are great at that. Teenagers, maybe even better at remembering, hey, you said. (laughs) You know, I can send an email to all of you parents, and a month later, I don't have to worry about you remembering that I promised something in that email. But if I promise something to the teenagers, like three years later, they'll be like, Nathan still has not taken us to that place he said he would. Like, they just, my words come back to bite me all the time, right? By my own words, Jesus says, I'm going to be acquitted or found guilty. That's kind of scary. It's super heavy stuff for sure. But let's keep looking at scripture. Mark chapter 7, verses 14 through 23. Again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then is out of the body. In this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on. What comes out of a person is what defiles them. For it is from within out of a person's heart that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. The heart of the matter appears to be 
our hearts. I want to blame it on frustration and exhaustion, but if, if evil words are coming out of me, it's because there's something evil in my heart. Um, I want to blame it on other people just being slow and being dumb and not figuring it out, but it's probably my own arrogance and pride and impatience. You know, I can justify and find an excuse for all sorts of things that I do. And maybe you're like me too, and you can come up with ways and talk people in circles, and all of a sudden, they're not sure if you're to blame or not. But Jesus says, I'm going to cut right through all of that. What's in your heart is what's going to come out of your mouth. What's in your heart is what's going to come out in your actions. If you want to be a more loving person, it doesn't have to do with reading a book and making a checklist and being like, I just have to do this and I just have to do this and I just have to do this. What you need to be doing is saying, okay, if I want to love my family better, if I want to love my siblings better, if I want to love my wife or husband better, if I want to love my God better, I have to actually love them. I have to actually care more about them than myself. Gosh, that's so more, seems more difficult, right? It doesn't, we want to just be able to take this checklist and be like, look, I, I did it all. Don't you know that I love you? <laughs> Man, they talk about kids being able to like see through things, right? They can see whether you're being genuine or not. Um, they, can, they can read your body language and your nonverbals in an incredible way. And I think we give them a lot of credit in that, and so you can't be false with kids, right? Um, but I think as adults, we're pretty good at that too. And it's pretty easy to tell, even if you're not quite able to put your finger on it, when somebody's being false, when they're just going through the motions, when they're just doing the checklist, it's not the same, right? There's that phrase, it's the thought that counts. It is the thought that counts if you had a thought. It's not the thought that counts if you just procrastinated because you weren't paying attention to the fact that my birthday was coming up and then you got me something last minute and you're like, well, at least I got you something. No, right? There's a difference between those two. You can be thoughtful and try and, and mess up and maybe not do it so perfectly. Or maybe you thought because of something that had happened that they really liked the peach mango one, but they actually don't. You know, like you can make those mistakes and it's the thought that counts. But you have to be thoughtful. And man, I'm not very thoughtful when my heart is full of selfishness and arrogance and pride. I fall into those things, right? It says sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. These defile us, and they come from within us. I can't say it's the world's fault. I can't say it's somebody else's fault. If this is what's coming out of me, it's inside of me. So here's the deal. Food restrictions in the law of the Torah were good and useful, but not for making me good or making me bad. Jesus makes clear that not only the food that you eat or don't eat doesn't have an effect on whether you're sinful or clean, but also other outward actions and rituals. I can't just show up to church every week and think by simply being here, I'm somehow changed and better. I also can't walk around and judge the actions of other people that I just in my mind think are not what godly people should be doing. Now, let's be patient here. I'm not 
encouraging you to skip church, and I'm not encouraging you to toe the line of sinfulness. We'll get to how to make those judgments. Do you remember Enron? Anybody remember Enron? I know a lot of you younger people weren't even born when Enron existed, right? But you older people remember Enron. Enron was one of the top five biggest companies in America. And there was a ginormous financial scandal which collapsed the entire company, and there were actual criminal charges pressed against the leadership. Okay? I remember that. Weirdly, as a, as a, as a high school student, I was attentive enough to that to be like, this is a big deal. I don't, I didn't, I'd never heard of Enron before until the scandal broke, but I remember it. And it's weird because I was reading an article the other day called The Collapse of Enron and the Dark Side of Business by Leslie Kerwin. And it brought up a lot of weird emotions for me that I didn't know existed. And it really kind of connected some dots of my experience since 2001 and the collapse of Enron all the way to today. Here's a few snippets from that article. This story was supposed to be a game changer. U.S. senators, regulators, and business leaders told me that it was a watershed moment for global business, that rules would be rewritten and corporate culture changed forever. 20 years after Enron's demise, I wonder what has actually changed. Since 2001, we've seen a series of high-profile accounting scandals where the role of auditors has come under scrutiny. In 2020, Germany was rocked by an accounting scandal at the electronic payments company Wirecard, a politically savvy stock market star. In June 2020, it admitted 1.9 billion euros of cash on its books probably did not exist. It took six years with the help of whistleblowers before the story was taken seriously. Dan McCrum, the leader of the whistleblowers, says his team were subject to extensive surveillance. The German authorities even initially accused them of manipulating Wirecard's share price. On the outside, these companies looked so great. Uh, but what was happening inside eventually destroyed them. And I read these stories and I think, what drives people to lie and lie and lie? What makes others question those who begin to tell the truth? You've got, you've got to be motivated by something else. You've, you've got to be trying to make money yourself by accusing them of not doing it right. Our world hasn't really gone very far since 2001 in regards to this. But I think it's pretty easy. There's probably a word on our tongues, right? What leads them to lie and lie? What leads them to deceive and pretend and, and set up this house of cards? It's greed, right? It, that's what the German authorities were accusing the whistleblowers of having was greed to manipulate the wire cards, you know, stock price. And yet it was the greed of the company that they were trying to expose. Capitalist.com, <laughs> capitalism, I'm sorry, capitalism.com says this, a capitalist economy is profit-driven at its core. Profit, as it exists in modern society, is synonymous with capital. We can view profit more broadly, though, as anything of greater value that comes out of what we input. When more value comes from the economic process than the value we put in, the process is profitable. Profit-driven economics is often referred to as self-interest. In capitalism, value is placed in wealth, so profit is usually judged along those lines. Private entities are always motivated 
to maximize profits in this economic model. This isn't a political statement, but this is the world we live in. And when we live in this world, we've got to have something greater than ourselves, someone greater than ourselves, to guide us away from greed, away from envy, away from arrogance, or it's so easy for our hearts to get caught up in it. Man, this morning we had a, a lesson in the youth class about money. Uh, we're going through a series called Jesus in Our Generation. And the teacher in the video talked a lot about the difference between how we would handle our money if we follow God versus not. And one of the biggest things that I take away when I read scripture and I listen to lessons about money is the idea that if I can find a place of security with God, then I can be generous. But man, when I'm feeling insecure and I'm not sure if I'm going to be taken care of and I think I need this and I think I need that, that I'm not realizing God's going to give to me, then I start to pull in and grab and search to, to get more, right? I mean, it's just the way it works for me. I, I, maybe it works that way for you too. When we're in this world that says, you, 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 more, 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 take care of number one, and the message really hasn't changed. It's, it's changed the words that we use, the way that we couch it. Now, now, now it's all about, you know, taking care of yourself. And we put it in these words. And certainly, we need to take care of ourselves. And I don't want to let anybody in here who's, who's feeling untaken care of feel neglected this morning. But I have watched, especially youth culture, take this idea of self-care to a very far extreme. To a very selfish place. And I want to I caution against that in this way. Trust in the Lord that God is going to care for you and seek out the ways that He cares for you so that you're not having to constantly think about yourself and seek out caring for yourself so that you can be free to care for other people. I mean, Jesus Himself literally sacrificed His life for you and me. And so can we find ways that yes, that yes, we sacrifice ourselves. Guess what? It's what your mom has been doing her whole life. She's been giving of herself for you. If that's not a close enough understanding, I, I, I don't know what would be. But find someone that you can look at and say, I've watched them sacrifice, give and give and give of their own comforts for other people. But that starts, yes, with taking care of yourself by getting yourself right on the inside, right? That's what we're talking about. We're talking about getting right on the inside and leaning more and more into God. So let's talk about a practical way to do that. Luke 11, 33 through 36 says this. Jesus is speaking again. No one lights a lamp and puts it in a place where it will be hidden or under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand so that those who come in may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eyes are healthy, your whole body also is full of light. But when they are unhealthy, your body is also full of darkness. See to it then that the light within you is not darkness. Therefore, if your whole body is full of light and no part of it dark, it will be just as full of light as when a lamp shines its light on you. Amen. When I find my inner self, my heart full of dark things that I've been storing up, what can I do about it? 
how do I even get here? How did I even get here, right? Like, what do I do if, if I take that survey of my inner self and I go, yeah, I am pretty selfish and I'm experiencing a lot of envy and I have a lot of anxiety and, and out of this place of fear inside of me, I see how that's coming out. Jesus says our eyes are really important. He says the eye is the lamp to the body, right? The eye is the, is the thing that's going to allow light in or make everything dark. Uh, Nikki Gumbel, who's uh, the creator of Alpha that we do on Wednesday nights, he also has a devotion called The Bible in One Year, and in day 97 he says this, With the worldwide spread of the coronavirus, washing your hands is extremely important. However, Jesus says a clean heart and conscience are even more important than clean hands. What goes on in your heart and thoughts really matters. Your eyes are key. They are the gate to the inner life. That is why what you look at matters so much. You let things into your inner life through your eyes. Your eyes also reflect what is going on in your heart. Jesus calls you to fill your inner being with light. The message of Luke 11, 34-36 says, Your eye is a lamp lighting up your whole body. If you live wide-eyed in wonder and belief, your body fills up with light. If you live squinty-eyed in greed and distrust, your body is a dank cellar. Keep your eyes open, your lamp burning, so you don't get musty and murky. Keep your life as well-lighted as your best-lighted room. I have a quote on my whiteboard in my office, and it says, what you give your eyes over to you give your heart over to also. And that's a reminder to me about something actually very specific in my life, but as I prepared this lesson, I went, whoa, that quote is applicable to a lot of things. What are we looking at? What are we seeing? What are we bringing into our lives through, through our eyes? Is it something that makes you fearful? Afraid of the other political side? Afraid of what comments you might get on social media? Uh, afraid of, of just where your life is going to go? Is it something that brings desire inside of you? Selfish desire for your own pleasures, for your own enjoyments, for pursuing things for yourself? Or do we have eyes that are looking on other people, that are seeing them, really seeing them, understanding their stories, listening to God as he guides and directs us? Are we, are we opening our eyes and taking in things that make us feel loved and secure and full of joy that remind us? We sang a song today, When My Love for Christ Grows, Grows Weak. And that song says, when that happens, I turn to remembering the story of how you suffered for me. Right? Where do we turn? What do we open our eyes to? Do we have our eyes open wide to the world in wonder and belief? Where's God at work? Where am I going to see him? What's he going to do next? Or are we sitting back going, I don't know about all you people, right? Are we squinting our eyes at one another in distrust and envy? I mean, I see you over there, but I really just want your stuff. Or do I see the person that's right in front of me? Jesus says in verse 41 of Luke 11, But now as for what's inside of you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean in you. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, 
not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. You see, we need to get outside of ourselves. One of my favorite church signs I ever saw years and years ago said a person wrapped up in him or herself is a very small package. I love that. I love that. And I love it because it reminds me, unwrap myself, open myself up to the other people around me. I got to get bigger. God wants to use me for something greater than just my own selfish desires. I got to get outside myself. I have to turn my eyes upon Jesus by turning my eyes upon others. See, truly, seeing people takes practice. And being able to look at a person and see past whatever I initially see on the outside takes practice. And being able to look at people and say, who are you? Well, what makes you? What, what, what drives you? What do you think is really fun? Tell me about the great stuff in life. And hey, what are you struggling with? I'm actually going to be willing to ask that question too because, man, I don't, I don't like to go through hard stuff. I'm that personality that literally like, pushes it back and just tries to ignore it. But when somebody is willing to just sit with me, listen to me, hear my struggles, what a weight is lifted. And so we need to be able to truly see one another. We got to be able to see that, right? We got to be able to know the struggles that people have so that we then can say, what do I have to give? And maybe it is money. Maybe it is a sacrifice of paying for that thing I want to pay for the bill someone needs paid or to buy them the thing they don't have. But maybe it's not. Maybe you can see into the life of somebody else so they can just give them an ear to talk to. You can give them a hug. You can give them a smile. What do you have to give to the other people in the world around you? And in this way, Jesus says, by being generous with what we have and who we are, that's how we clean the inside out. That's how we get rid of all that dank and darkness. That's how we get rid of the selfishness. If you've never been to Honduras or over to a third world country, then maybe you haven't experienced something like this. But man, every time that you're able to go and serve people who literally have less than you in a very visual and obvious way, it's impactful to clear out that greed and selfishness. I tell people often, the first time in my life I ever encountered Jesus was when I went to Mexico on a mission trip. And there was a young man in our youth group who um, was messing around instead of helping to build the building and got injured. And so he had to go sit in the shade. Um, and the, the family who was preparing our lunch down the street from the church building gave us an umbrella that they had been given by somebody else to give him some shade because it's pretty hot in the summers in Mexico. And so he's sitting under the shade, but he's a teenage boy. He gets bored, and he starts to mess around again and breaks their umbrella. And I don't know why I was the one who had to take the umbrella and walk it back to this family and say, lo siento. But I did. I carried that umbrella, broken as it was, and, I, and I, in my broken Spanglish communicated, I'm so sorry, he broke this umbrella, and I'm just trying to say, so sorry, so sorry, so sorry, and they're going, oh, 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 because what they heard was someone who came all the way from America to help build our church building is now having to sit in the hot sun after they got hurt, and she takes the umbrella, runs down the hall, and comes back with a blanket, and tries to encourage me with her broken Spanglish to tie it in the tree and give him some shade. 
I broke in that moment because I was trying to apologize because I felt so selfish as a people that we couldn't even take good care of their stuff. We're supposed to be there serving them. And out of what appeared to me as a teenager, out of their nothing, they gave all that they had to give. And it reminded me of the woman with the two mites. And Jesus said, she gave more than anyone else. And I don't know if you've had an experience where you felt that way, like someone that you were supposed to be serving, that you're supposed to be trying to give to, they gave to you in, an, in a way that just felt so big. And so we need to do that for each other. And so I told you I'd get back to this, right? Is going to church regularly good? Well, yes, if you come with your eyes open to the body of Christ and see one another. Well, yes, if you come with an open heart, ready to receive the truth of God, even when it challenges your previously held beliefs. Well, yes, it's good if you put into practice the teachings of Jesus and use the knowledge gained here at church to allow the Holy Spirit to mold you and shape you more into the image of your Creator. Then, yeah, coming to church is good. But if you come to church with a hard heart to check a box, it's not doing you any good. Should we avoid certain activities and pursuits that are held out as acceptable, normal, even good by the world? Well, yes, if those things get into your heart and cause your eyes to squint and store up inside of you evil motivations that wall you off from the Lord and His leading. And so I've got to make these choices. I've got to say, hey, these things that I'm participating in, Paul said, you've been set free. Everything is, is allowed to you, but not everything's beneficial to you. And so I have to say, what does this do to the inside of me? The actions of what I do, the activities I participate in, are they bringing inside my eyes things that, that keep me in wide-eyed wonder and belief? Or are they helping to squint my eyes? Are they things that are going to get in my heart because it's a selfish pursuit? It's, it's okay, it's fine, there's nothing immoral about it, but gosh, is it something that's going to hook itself in my heart, and all of a sudden I'm going to become addicted to it and want it and, and want more and more and more of it to where I am then now neglecting the things I should be doing? Like, I've got to make that decision. I've got to evaluate that. And so instead, we want to give ourselves wholeheartedly to the Lord and practice discernment. We want to take care to get our inner self in order, even if for a while that outer self looks a mess. Work on that inner self. It's more important to fix what's going on on the inside than to get those actions right. Because if you can get what's on the inside right, the actions will follow. Stop blaming those outside forces for the evil that comes from inside of me. Good. I want to say a quick prayer to close. This prayer is for me. I hope it's your prayer too. And following this prayer, I want to invite you that if you have a need... If, if you want the prayers of the church, if you recognize that you need to have those eyes opened, if you recognize that there's things in your life that are, that are filling that heart with darkness, I encourage you to come forward. Let's read this prayer. Restore my spirit, Lord. I need restored. Create in me a clean heart, O oh God, and renew a right spirit within me. Turn my eyes to Jesus the author and perfecter of my faith. Fill me with the light of your life and banish the darkness I harbor. In the name of Jesus, my Savior and Lord, I pray.
Amen. Come and respond if you need to as we stand and sing. Amen.